to um, the scripture today, continuing from um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, is Matthew 5, verses 17 to 30. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Thanks, Cindy. What a cheerful passage. You know, if you're a first-time visitor, uh, you, put, you picked a wonderful text to come and learn about Current on. Uh, you know, I full disclosure, this week I always, you know, figuratively, literally get on my, my, my knees and pray and ask the Lord to kind of show me how to teach something. I was a little bit more so this week. Um, but you, if you've been coming to Current um, for, for a length of time, you know that uh, we, we really want to be on God's curriculum. We want to we want to let him guide us, him teach us, and so as we're going through you know this series that we're calling Upside Down Kingdom, where Jesus preaches this most famous sermon sermon that we we have in the scriptures, the Sermon on the Mount, and we come to a place where man we have to we have to come to grips with it. We need to understand it. We need to wrestle with it. Try to understand uh, what he's saying and how 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 there is actually here God's best for us. Uh, we we don't want to just skip it. And we want to, we want to go through piece by piece. Obviously, we can't cover the whole Sermon on the Mountain in great detail, but, but certainly we don't want to skip it. We want to, we want to uh, be thoughtful. Uh, as a church, uh, we take the Bible as reliable and, and authoritative, taking seriously all that it teaches. And in fact, this very text actually, um, I'm not a biblical scholar here, but is, is just about the most helpful of all scriptures of understanding why it is we as a church, but also as Christians, as followers of Jesus, take the Bible seriously. Take it as authoritative. Uh, have you ever wondered why Christians take the Bible as authoritative? Um, you know, someone might say, well, because it's God's Word. Um, well, it is God's Word, but is that 
all we can say about it. Why is it God's Word? Why do we take it seriously? Why do we understand? Why do we even need the Bible? That's all here, actually, in this text. So we're going to look at that. We're going to understand what this means for us, and then we're going to go through the, the, the text and, and try our best to understand this. Let me pray, and then we'll just jump straight in. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for uh, your Spirit that you give us to understand it and to uh, learn what you'd have for us from your word. And we, we pray that you would give us your spirit here and now, that we would uh, receive what you would have us receive today. Lord, I pray today as ever, would you help me get out of the way and just, and just focus on Jesus and his teachings. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, why do we take the Bible as authoritative? Just to get straight to it, because Jesus took it as authoritative. Uh, Jesus had an astonishing view of the Scriptures. It's just an astonishing view of the Scriptures. Uh, here he says, when he's talking about the laws and the prophets, he's talking about the Bible, he's talking about the Scriptures. He says, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Don't think I've come to abolish the Scriptures. For I truly tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. That's an astonishing view of the Scriptures. He's saying down to the smallest letter. Actually, in, in what he's saying here literally is he's talking about in the original language, the Hebrew, he's, even the slightest stroke, even the slightest letter stroke. Probably in English, the best way for us to understand it would be like, you know, you, not even a dot of an I or a cross of a T will, will be taken away, um, which, is, which is absolutely astonishing in terms of his view of Scripture. Jesus, on every page that is recorded of him that we have in the New Testament following his life, uh, just saw the Scriptures as absolutely central to his life. For instance, when he was on the cross, I mean, think about this. When you are in just utter anguish, when you are just at your low point, and it's just, what comes out of you in that moment? Uh, Nothing comes out of us except for our core instinct, like what's just deep down inside of us. Jesus on the cross was quoting Scripture. He was quoting Psalm 22, Isaiah 50, because that's how central the Scriptures were to him. When he was ushered off into the wilderness to be tempted, how did he ward off the temptation? How did he fight the temptation? He was quoting Scripture every time. Scripture is just central to him. And then there's places in the Bible, like Matthew 19, where Jesus, in quoting Scripture, making a point, gives us, again, this just astonishing view that he had of the Scriptures. In Matthew 19, he's making a point about marriage, and he says this, haven't you read the Creator said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh? What's fascinating about Jesus saying these words is when you look back on Genesis 2, where he's quoting this text, it's actually not so much God saying these words. Wait a minute. Jesus said, the Creator said for this reason. When you look back at Genesis 2, it's actually the narrator who says this, gives that little comment for this reason. It's Moses who's saying that, the author of Genesis. Which is it then? Jesus is saying, if it's Scriptures and Moses wrote it, God said it. It's like Peter, one of the early church leaders to the early church, he said, haven't you heard that when writing through uh, King David, the Holy Spirit said to you, and then he wrote about Scriptures, if David said it, if David wrote it, then God said it. If Moses wrote it in Scripture, then God said it. It's an astonishing view of Scriptures. And then in one of these parallel texts where Jesus basically says the same thing as he's saying uh, here and what we're looking at today elsewhere, this is in Luke 16, he says this. He says, it's easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. 
Jesus then launches into a parable, a spiritual story with the truth there for us to wrestle with to explain what he means. Here's the parable. There was a rich man who lived a life of luxury, everyday luxury. And then there was this poor man, a guy named Lazarus, who was out by the gates. And every day he just longed to eat, even just the, the smallest of morsels that might fall off the rich man's table. Well, the time came when both of them passed away. Both of them died. The rich man taken to Hades, Jesus said, where he was in torment. The poor man taken up into heaven where he was placed by Abraham's side. And from his anguish, the rich man at that time said to Abraham, Abraham, please send Lazarus to me with a little bit of water that it might just relieve my anguish just a little bit. And Abraham explained that that's not possible. There's a chasm between us. And then the rich man said, well, okay, I have five brothers who are still alive. Would you, would you just at least send Lazarus to them to warn them so that they wouldn't come here and be, be, be where I am? And Abraham said to them, this is, this is, I'll just go ahead and read it. it might, it'll be up on the screen for you. They have Moses and the prophets, your brothers. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, the rich man replied, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Abraham said to them, and this is really Jesus' point with this parable, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, if they don't listen to the scriptures, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Now, whenever I read that parable, I I try to understand what Jesus is saying. It's just like, what? Uh, One pastor who I have uh, a lot of respect for, who in turn has a high respect for the scripture, says that uh, Jesus' view of the scriptures is so high, it gives him a nosebleed. He had an astonishing view of the scriptures. We take the Scriptures as authoritative because Jesus takes them as authoritative. He says here, even when heaven and earth disappear, you know, the mountains, the oceans, those are soft copies. The Scripture, that's the hard copy. It's not going to disappear. Now, real quickly, before we move on, I, th- I think it's worth kind of uh, considering, considering a, a, a reasonable objection to this. Uh, a reasonable objection to all of this is saying, David, now isn't that just circular reasoning? Like, I mean, aren't you basically saying Christians take the Scripture as authoritative because the Bible take, says to take it as authoritative? I mean, because Jesus is in the Bible. Isn't that circular reasoning? How do we... The only, what I'd say to you there is you've you got to make up your mind about Jesus. What are you going to do? Who do you say that Jesus is? Uh, C.S. Lewis... Uh, an atheist who turned uh, Christian, uh, was a literary giant, okay, just, just unmatched in terms of his literary, literacy expertise and all that sort of thing. He made the point, he said, really, when you, look at, when you look down throughout history, there's really three people, there's really three historical figures that, though we'll never meet them, because of the writings that we have about them, we just, we just know without a doubt. We un, they're unmistakably who they are. They tick the way they tick. It's just, we, we know who they are. And he said, in kind of Lewis sort of ways, and of course these people are. And he says, Boswell's Johnson, Plato's Socrates, and Jesus of the gospel accounts. Gospels being Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He said, if you read about Johnson from Boswell, if you read about Socrates or Plato, if you, if you read about them, you just, you can't make them up. And furthermore, if you were to come across a scenario, based on what we know of them, you'd know how they'd respond. You just, you just would know it instinctively. And of those three... The, by far and away, the most corroborating evidence we have of any of them, of course, is Jesus. What's fascinating is if you read through the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see, for instance, Luke in his, like, 
nuanced personality sharing about Jesus. He talks and he records Jesus' life, but you see that history tells we, we know that he's a physician, and you, you read about Jesus, you find that, oh yeah, Luke is including extra little details about the symptoms that these guys brought when they came to ask for healing. And then Mark, this guy who is the man of action, he's always just pushing things forward. And by the way, history tells us, even going back to the early first, uh, second century, that John Mark indeed wrote it, and that his source material was Peter. You'll actually find that when you read the book of Mark with that new lens, that Peter, the, the, the apostle Peter, the disciple Peter, who's closest to Jesus, influenced a lot of what Mark was saying. There's a lot of embarrassing things about Peter in the book of Mark. You have to figure that's because Mark said, you know, Peter said to Mark, you should go ahead and just include that. Go ahead and include that. That needs to be said. John, I was just reading John last night as, as one of my, my readings. You can just tell, as history tells us, he was, he was exiled, and he wrote his, his account far later than these guys, a couple, you know, a couple decades later. You could tell that he had just been marinating on the whole thing. And that the way he puts his account together. Okay, so you see all their personalities, and yet when you look at Jesus, Jesus is Jesus. It, you just you see who he is, you can't help but like, okay, there's 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 a person here. Bono, uh, U2's frontman, uh, I love how he says it and talks about how why he's Christian. He said, look, when you read the gospel accounts, when you read these accounts about Jesus. He does, based on the claims that he's making, he does not let you off the hook saying he's just a good teacher. Like, if you really understand Jesus' claims, Bono says, you have to either think of him as just a, a raving lunatic, and, and, God, and Bono-type wording, he says, and we're not just talking like a little weirdo, we're talking Charlie Manson-type delirium, if you understand the claims of Jesus. You either have to th- consider him as just a raving lunatic, or you have to believe that he's truly the Son of God. And then my favorite part of that quote is he, he'll say, and I just find it really hard to believe, really hard to accept that millions and millions throughout history have had their lives changed, have ha- had their lives touched by some nutter, the Irishman says. You have to make up your mind about Jesus, and if you make up your mind about Jesus, he is who he is, then you have to come to grips with his understanding of the Scriptures, and his understanding of the Scriptures, he had a very high view of the Scriptures. He just, they, they were absolutely authoritative. They were central to who he is. Verse 19, he, he says this. He says, um, we can't even set aside one of the least of the commands. That's, that's how far he goes. Okay, to bring this home, to get practical about this uh, for, for a moment here, I think it means at least two thoughts. The first one is you have to search the Scriptures. Again, if you're here today and you're, you're, you're trying to figure Jesus out, you know, you're not a follower, you're just like, I'm just, just, this is curious to me, I'm trying. Here's the invitation to you, is to look into the life of Jesus. Read the text on Jesus. Understand him. Is he who he says he is? It's pretty straightforward. Make up your mind. That's, that's the invitation that, that, that God invites you into. Um, but if you have, if you are convinced that he is who he is, are you looking into the Scriptures? Remember, Jesus, man, Scripture was just coming out of him like sweat. It was so central to his life. So we have to spend time in the Scriptures, which leads us to the next thought is you have to, look, you have to search the Scriptures, but you also have to allow the Scriptures to search you. Um, I think, you know, it's really easy. It's human nature to say, you know what, I'm just going to pick and choose. I'm going to do what I want to do. You see things how I want to see. And, oh, I like that, and I like this. And Jesus doesn't give us that option. He says you can't put even the, the least 
least commandment away. You've got to take it all seriously. The intent of the Bible, the intent of the Scriptures, is to help us know the one who knows and loves us and to learn what his best is for us. But it stands to reason that if the Scriptures exist outside of culture, if they exist outside of every culture, expanding our, our you know, time, and if they, they exist outside of ourselves, there's going to be, for starters, a number of things that the Scripture commends about a given culture or commends about, you know, your life. But there's also going to be things, it stands to reason, that it's going to push back on a little bit. We would have to think. And so we have to take it seriously. And I would just say this before moving on. You know, it's been my humble experience that, that when, when, and I say this through, you know, gritted teeth and when the Lord helps me to finally see, you know what, I need to, I need to take this seriously. I haven't been taking this seriously. I probably should do something. When that happens, I often experience the most freedom and I often experience the most liberation. God's word is meant for our best, and he, he, he calls us to take it seriously, to search it, and have it to search us. Okay, that's the high-level umbrella thought that he sets the stage on, okay? And then what he does in this text is he gives us two case studies, okay? He gives us two case studies for scriptures that we can search and have search us. He kind of just, he, he sets the stage, taking it authoritatively, and then he kind of has two things that he really wants to speak to that culture, and he also wants to speak to us today, and he's, he quotes the Ten Commandments. The topics are murder, thou shalt not murder, and adultery, thou shalt not uh, uh, commit adultery. Let's look at these in reverse order, order. So first, adultery. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Now, they heard it because obviously printing press wasn't around. They'd, they've heard the Ten Commandments read. You've heard that. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in, her, in his heart. Now, let me just say right off the bat that nobody, virtually nobody listening to Jesus' words couldn't hear them and not squirm a little bit. Um, um, today or back then. Uh, for Jesus' teaching here is that this commandment doesn't just mean, it never just meant don't go to bed with somebody else's spouse. It means much, much more than that. He says, I tell you, anyone who looks lustfully, that word lustfully, for what it's worth, it's an interesting word. It, it, has, it has the meaning of a very strong desire. Actually, the word is literally an over-desire. Um, what Jesus is saying is not, hey, you know, if you see a pretty girl or, or guy, pretty guy, you know, let's stick with the girl here. If you see a pretty girl and you see that she's attractive, hey, that's, that's okay. But for that to go to something that's strong desire, that over desire, he's like, that's, that's what we're talking about here. And for what it's worth, this is in complete alignment with all the Bible has to say about this. For instance, in 1 Timothy 5, Paul, writing to the early church, one of the, one of the pastors said, treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Also treat young men as brothers. God wants us to value and respect others, even in our thoughts. Even in our thoughts. He wants to give, give them the, the, the dignity and the value that they deserve, even in our thoughts. Which, to put it this way, the beauty of what Jesus is teaching here, if we were to truly allow him to help us with our thought life, we wouldn't have to worry about all the heavy, sad, and destructive things that are, frankly, happening right now in our culture. Um, that are coming to light. You know, to go there a little bit here, uh, 
course, I'm talking about the Me Too movement, talking about uh, the recent Time's Up stand uh, made at the, uh, the Golden Globes, uh, which is very related to this and very weighty to consider. Uh, the stories of harassment and abuse are heavy, they're sad to read about, and they're far too common. And all the destruction and the scarring that's happened to so many gals and, and guys, for that matter, uh, what's at the root of it? The root of it, at the root of it, is not valuing, not respecting, not loving, not giving the dignity that God calls us to give to others. And, you know, I think it's, I think it's good. I think it's, it's, it's helpful. It's, it's, it's good that our culture right now is a having a collective look-in-the-mirror type moment. You know, I was reading uh, a pretty... Uh, convincing article this week of a guy saying, you know what, uh, it's the, 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 the core issue is not just these sexual predators who, who are existing behind the scenes and doing things. We need to root that out. That just, you know, that's just obviously horrible. But the, 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 the root problem is actually more systemic than that and more cultural. He said this in the, in the article, while it is certainly a good thing that the systemic harassment and predatory sexual behavior are being called out and exposed, the reality is Hollywood has always been one of the chief purveyors of sex as commodity. I read uh, real recently an interview of Kira Knightley, and she was answering the question of why she uh, almost exclusively takes uh, historical timepiece roles. You know, I, I was, oh yeah, she Pride and Prejudice, like that sort of thing. Um, I didn't watch it, sorry. Um, but anyways, uh, you know, she, she takes time, historical piece, and she, she very rarely does, she just doesn't want to touch modern day roles. And so she's answering that. And she was actually not trying to hold any punches. She was saying, man, I read those scripts and I find that the, lead, the gal in that role, it doesn't take but five minutes for her to be raped. In some form or fashion, it's just in every role, I just don't want to be a part of it. And she also said, you know, I just, and I, I see all these roles, and, you know, often it's the girlfriend who's off on the side or, or, the, or the wife who's just not doing anything to push the plot forward. She said, I just, Jesus, Jesus wants us to the very core of us, even, even, even to the place where, how we're thinking about others, to give them the love, dignity, and respect that they inherently deserve. That's his call. That, that, that love would start there, that the value of others would start there. So to get practical on this, and Jesus gives us two ways, he says, one, pluck out your eye, if it's a problem. Two, cut off your hand. All right, guys, you have an assignment, okay? No, 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 okay. Um, it's not just poetical here, it's practical. And you've got, you, we all know, of course, that Jesus is not talking literally here. Otherwise, you probably would have seen people leave the Sermon on the Mount cutting off some hands and gouging it, right? He wasn't talking literal. He's, he's, being, he, he's wanting us to think about this. And so let's think about this. In terms of the eye, it's, of course, how we view things. You know, when it comes to lust, we can't just simply work on the will and just say, you know what? I'm just, gonna, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to overcome. It's not, not going to work. So what you got to do is you got you to you view things for what they really are. You know, the gospel at its root, we've talked about this over the last few weeks, talk about this every week, uh, acknowledges that our own will, we cannot achieve perfection. So Jesus is saying, you've got to preach to your heart. You've got to see the situation for what it is. Number two, he says, he talks about the hand. I think there he's talking about our behaviors. We've got to think about our behaviors. We have to be concerned with where we are, avoiding, avoiding places of temptation, not putting ourselves in the place of it. You know, it's, the classic example 
to me on this from the Bible that I think talks about both, you know, the eye thing and the, and the, and the hand is from Genesis, uh, let's see here, 39, when Potiphar's wife uh, came to Joseph, okay? Potiphar's wife was Joseph's boss. Uh, she was very attractive. She was, you know, Potiphar was away, um, and Potiphar's wife came to him, and he said, come lay with me. And uh, notice how Joseph responds. What does he say? He says to, to Potiphar's wife in this moment, think of what your husband has done for me. Think of what God has done for me. I cannot do this wicked thing. What's he doing? He's seeing it in its true colors. He's understanding it for what it is. And he's not just talking to Potiphar's wife, it seems to me. He's, talking, he's preaching to his own heart. No, no, no. There's more to this situation. I need to keep away from it. And then the very next thing he does when she continues to advance is he cuts off his hand. He flees. We're told he flees. Actually, he flees in such a way that, that his cloak stays in her hand, which, by the way, she ends up using, if you, know this, if, you, if you read the story, using to frame him later and put him in jail for many years. Where's the justice in that, Joseph? Where, what's going on? And yet the, the story of Joseph is amazing, that God was, is honored by Joseph, and, and, and God in turn honors Joseph. And the amazing thing, most of all, in, in my opinion, in, in that honoring comes Joseph. God uses Joseph to be a blessing to just so many, love so many. Jesus calls us to treat others with dignity and love, even in our thoughts. Search the Scriptures and let the Scriptures search you. That's the first thought he kind of takes us through. The, the other one is murder. You have heard it said to the, the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Are, are you sensing the theme? You know, Jesus is saying here, he, he just cares so much how we love and we treat others. Uh, the implicit thought here is we're all made in the image of God. We don't get to just kind of treat people however we want. And it's not just when we're in front of them. Or when we are in front of them, it's not just in the big ways, like, check, not murdering you. It's, it's okay. It's, it's, it's down to the smallest of things. You know, next week, he's going to take this a step further. He's going to say, uh, love your enemies. That's what we're going to look at next week, which is an amazing thought. But here he says, don't even call your brother and sister, sister Raka, or you fool. You know, I was wondering, I was like, why is, why is Raka just like left at this weird word? Well, it's because we don't have an, a word in English to, care, to, to translate it into. And actually, it itself is not really a word. It's more of an utterance. It's kind of a, ugh. You know, you fool. I, I feel like collectively these are saying, idiot. <laughs> it sounded a lot like Napoleon Dynamite right there. Don't be Uncle Rico or, no, 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 if you see, don't see that movie if you haven't. It's silly, stupid. Even in the smallest of utterances, Jesus is saying we got to treat, we got to love others, we got to respect others and care for them. Jesus goes on to say how important this is in his mind. Verse 23, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. You know, how is this for an upside-down kingdom? Okay. God is not, first and foremost, interested in your religious duty if you haven't taken care of loving somebody, if there's something that needs to be reconciled. How's that for upside down? 
We can't think that our service toward God justifies bad relationship with others. We should, as, as Paul commanded elsewhere, similar thinking, as, as it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Now, again, his original readers must have just been absolutely squirming when they heard these words. You know, they're probably thinking, oh, okay, that commandment, do not murder. Good on that one, Jesus. Um, hopefully, that'd be a weird crowd if they weren't <laughs> thinking that. But when he goes, he says, you know what, even to the place of, ah, it's like, whew, game changer. Chances are, for most in that crowd, that will have happened that morning. Jesus doesn't want us to even express the smallest utterances of contempt, uh, but to love. What do we do with this text? What do we do with this text? What's what's our takeaway? Jesus says, hi, umbrella. We need to search the, the, the scriptures. We need to have the scriptures search us. And then he walks us through, you know, this do not murder, this do not commit adultery, and, and just kind of, you know, boy, if you're sitting and you're listening to that, I don't care then or today, you're feeling the weight of it, are you not? If you're not, I don't think you heard. Let me just read it again. It's, it's heavy. And I think for me, one of the big takeaways I think, I think for us here is Jesus is saying, God takes sin very seriously. God, just, God takes sin very seriously. Like he cares so much about, for instance, the things that we can do unto others even before the act is committed. He wants us to have a posture of love, caring, dignity that we're often... He just, he wants us to, he he takes it very seriously. Remember a couple weeks ago, we looked at uh, the Beatitudes, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, these these blessed are promises. And one of those blessed are's was kind of this weird one, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And we talked about how Jesus wasn't just talking about blessed are those who are mourning because they're going through hardship. Um, he's, he's talking about in terms of spiritually, blessed are people who mourn at the state of affairs of things. How humankind is just kind of, man, there's a lot going, there's a lot of destruction happening. There's a lot of pain. He's saying, blessed are those who mourn, who just at the, who, who aren't numb to it. And by the way, they're not just saying the problem is out there. They're mourning because they know deep down it, it starts here. Blessed are those who mourn. I think that's what Jesus is saying. We've got to take this seriously. And I think as a result of God is taking it seriously, we've got to take it seriously. Here's, here's a thought. How can you take sin seriously? You know, how might you be, have become numb to it? This can look differently for, for, for each of us in, in different ways, but, but how can we take sin seriously in, in regards especially to these two things? For instance, maybe it's bringing something to light that hasn't been brought to light before and receive healing that way. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you've just kind of, you've kind of turned a cold shoulder to. Your, your heart is just, just kind of, you know, like stone towards them. And you're just, you just, you know what, I don't want to bother with that relationship. It's just not worth going there. That you, God might put on your heart to say, you know what, as far as it's possible and depends on you to live at peace, I don't know what that would look like. I don't know what that would mean in, in, a, in a given situation, if that is even you, but to be reconciled, to love uh, in, in these different ways. God takes vin- sin very seriously. And he, he calls us to do the same. Um, but here's the best news of the sermon, guys. It can't end there. The, the, the main driving point of the sermon is actually, it's not that. 
Now, it, it must be in part that because if we weren't reading the tone of what Jesus is saying and not really kind of wrestling this through, then I don't think we're being faithful to the text. But the main thing Jesus says is the very first thing he says, and it really unpacks everything, not only in this text that we're looking at today, but in the entire Bible. And he says in verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That's the point. That's the point of all of this, that Jesus came to fulfill the law. God takes sin seriously. That's why he's given us his law. That's why he's not going to just say, you know what? Be gone, but he's come to take to fulfill them. If you've been coming to current for any length of time, hopefully you know this, especially when we went through our Old Testament series. Uh, the Bible is just is not just a collection of inspirational stories. It's not just a, a collection of r- wise teachings, practical advice of how we can live the life we're supposed to live. That's absolutely a part of it, but that is not the point of the Bible. The point of the Bible is not you or me. The point of the Bible is what Jesus came to do that you and I couldn't do to fulfill all these things, to, to live the life that we couldn't live and die the death that we deserve. That's what the cross is all about. That's how seriously God takes sin, is that it cost him his one and only perfect son. He was hung up there on that tree like the murderess, like the adulteress, even though he wasn't. Even though he had a lot of opposition, he could have said raka any number of times and been justified in it. The Bible even tells us that he struggled, you know, he was tempted in every way that we're tempted. He was up there with the murderous, the adulterous, and yet he wasn't either of those things but dying for those. And all of us, wherever we are, he came to fulfill the law and love for, and the Bible really be, then becomes a signpost to who He is. When we understand the depths of, of sin and the law and all of that, it points us to Jesus. So if there's a takeaway that I think is here in this text, it's this. Our sin is great, but God's love for us in Jesus is greater. That's what the Bible's all about. He came to fulfill the law for us, and we can receive that, and then from that, live out of that. Uh, Charles Spurgeon... Baptist preacher who lived in the 19th century, uh, one day had a conversation with a man in London down by the docks, and the, the, the conversation was overheard by someone who, who wrote it down, so we, we have this little story. Uh, Spur- Spurgeon said to the man, do you, my friend, have a good hope that if you die, God will accept you? He's going, just going right at it like a preacher. Uh, the dock worker said, I do. I think I'm as good as most folks I know. Well, Spurgeon said, my friend, my friend, I'm scared. I'm concerned for you. Is that the best you have to rely on? The dock worker said, well, I'm also very charitable to the needy. Spurgeon said, well, but you have sinned in your life, haven't you? Yes, said the dock worker many times. Well, what have you to rely on that gives you hopes of being forgiven? Well, the dock worker said, I am very sorry for my sins. I've stopped many of them. Spurgeon said, now, my friend, suppose you get into debt with a grocer who you have dealt with, and you cannot say to your grocer, now, look, ma'am, I'm sorry I can't pay for all these goods I owe you for, but I'll tell you what, I'm sorry for that debt. I promise I'll never get into any more debt. Would she accept that? Well, the dock worker said, of course she wouldn't accept that. 
Spurgeon said, well, if she would not accept that and she would not make your debt good on the basis of that kind of statement, do you suppose you can treat the great God in that way when you would never treat your grocer that way? Well, the dock worker said, what can I do? Then Spurgeon told him as plainly as he could how the Lord Jesus had taken the place of sinners and how those who trust in him and rest on his blood and his righteousness would find pardon and peace. That's the gospel. That's Jesus come to fulfill the law for us. He calls us to take sin seriously. Look, the life of a Christian is not to say, hey, we're forgiven. Let's go live this up. If, we, if that's our posture, we don't understand the seriousness of what it costs nothing less than our Savior's life. In fact, it flips that little objection on its head. How much more then should we take seriously the things that God's called us to and out of love, love those around us, starting with the smallest of ways? And by the way, when you mess up, which you will, to know that He forgives you, that He loves you, um, that is what God has called us into. That is the beauty of what Jesus has done for us. We receive it and we live from it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, this, this word that is, boy, however we make of it, it's powerful. And boy, when we think about current state of affairs and the culture and, you know, what's on our news feeds and the heaviness of it and all that sort of stuff. Lord, would you help us as a church, as followers of yours, lead out in loving others in the smallest of ways because of the dignity that you've given others, the value, and of course, because that's who you call us to be. And Father, forgive us when we fall short of that. We fall short of it far off, far more often than we care to admit or even care to realize, but thank you that your love for us reaches even further yet. We love you, Father, and uh, we, we commit our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.